let's look here at Psalm 30. Psalm 30 is on my heart today, and I wanted to look at the last several verses. I wanted to start with verse 11 of Psalm 30. Uh, actually, before verse 11, in verse 10, the psalmist says, Hear, O Lord, and have mercy on me. Lord, be my helper. Life is designed in a way that sooner or later, every individual has to be confronted with the fact that my brains is not going to be enough. My resources, whether it be money, friends, family, good looks, good health, is not going to be enough. We're going to need divine intervention. We're going to need the help of God. Now, come a little bit closer with that thought because it's not just the help of God that he graces us or he opens a door for us or he gets us out of a jam. It's going to be the kind of situation that, Lord, I don't only need help, I need you. I want to know you. And this Psalm 30, I hope you see that's where the psalmist is at. Hear, O Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, be my helper. Now, as God draws close, we're going to discover something. We're going to discover that the pain may not necessarily go away. The situation may not necessarily become lighter. Then what happens, Pastor, you ask? Well, what happens is that in the presence of the Lord, all of a sudden, we discover, you discover, I discover that your presence is really what I need, Lord. Whether the situation changes or not, stays or goes, gets totally transformed, Lord, your presence is greater, and that's what you see there in the following verse, verse 11. You've turned for me my mourning into what? Dancing. When do you usually dance? What is the motivation for dancing? Anyone? Like if we were in our living room here, why do you dance? Because you're sad? Why? Somebody said it. You're happy. You're rejoicing. You want to quemar las chancletas. You know, you want to, you want to, you know, throw a little bit of your moves there and look at the contrast for mourning. When do you mourn? When you're heartbroken. When a loved one has been taken away. You can prepare for it, you can blab it, you can grab it, you can name it, you can confess it, but when someone you love dies, the strongest of Christians is challenged by that. Remember Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus? He wept. You know, I'm taken sometimes by Christians, oh, in Victoria, Manuel, Victoria, how you doing? Victoria, you know, your mom just died. Victoria, come on, be real. Let's get real here. If Jesus wept, you could weep too, you know. But here's the beautiful thing. Mourning, grief, sorrow, emptiness, loss, sad. Man, it's like I'm dancing. Look at the next contrast there. He says, you put off my sackcloth that was put on when you were going to fast, pray, seek the Lord. It was a form of like almost um, being humiliated, uh, suffering. Uh, You've turned my sackcloth 
and you clothe me with gladness. Now, what's the purpose of that? I love verse 12. To the purpose, to the point, to the end, that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. Oh, Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you. How long? Forever. Notice with me this morning that in life, things happen. Things happen. There is accidents. There is letdowns. There's disappointments. I looked throughout the room here today and so many that I've had the pleasure of walking with and living with and sharing life with. We have some things in common. We've shed some tears. We've shed some disappointments. We've shared some heartbreaks. And why do those things happen? Look here, Psalm 30. To the end that my glory would sing praise to you. That when you get over it, when you go beyond it, when God changes uh, the fasting to feasting, you don't just say, I'm pretty good, aren't I? In Spanish, they have this saying, soy un caballo. You know, you're, eres un caballo, you're a horse. It doesn't translate good in English, right? <laughs> you're a horse, you know. Things don't happen for you just to think that you're all that and, and a bag of chips or better than sliced bread. Things happen so that when you overcome, when you get recognized, when you, when you get your place, when, you know, the Bible says, humble yourself under God's mighty hand so in the right time he would lift you up. And when that lifting up comes, man, it would be to sing glory to God. God, you held me. God, you helped me endure. God, you brought me through. And look at this. I love this. Praise you and not be silent. I'm not going to be silent. And then look at this so that there will be an everlasting gratitude in my heart and your heart for the Lord. Hey, come a little bit closer and thought here today with me. Uh, I wish I had one-on-one <clears throat> -on -one time with each of you. That's the way that I'm wired, just to, to talk with you, to look to you in the eye and say, how are you doing? What is the basis of your praise? What is the foundation for your joy? Uh, what is the oasis of your praise and your glory and your what's going on in your life things come and things happen because as we go through those things as we seek the lord as we welcome his presence god's going to accomplish his work you could turn with me to mark chapter 5 I want to read a verse, I want to pray, and then we're going to dive in this morning. What is the overflow 
in my life? What, what is the overflow in, in your life? The Bible says from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I wonder if we realize here this morning that we really have one enemy and only one enemy. Wives, I got news for you. It's not your husband. Husband, it's not your wife. It's not the Republicans. It's not the Democrats. We have one enemy. And our text here this morning, Mark chapter 5, as I prayed, I was going to go in one direction and my heart came back to Mark chapter 5. Here we see the interaction of the enemy and then the Savior. And if there's one thing that our world needs is to realize that we have an enemy. And the Savior, Jesus said, the enemy, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. You know, in the world that we live in, people, I find sometimes believers, they toy with things. They play with things. They entertain certain ways of thought and thinking. And they don't realize it's, it's the enemy. And he comes to steal. He comes to kill. And he comes to destroy. Jesus in John 10, 10 says, I've come that you will have life and you will have it abundantly. And so, I want to look with you this morning at Mark chapter 5. Please pray with me, and we're going to pray together. I'd like to read verse 17. I want to read one verse and then pray. If you want to stand up and change your body position and read the Word of God standing up, please feel free to do so. You're invited to stand. If you want to remain seated, uh, that's okay too. The people that stand are not more spiritual. The people that remain seated are not more spiritual. They just remain seated. And those that stood, just stood. But those of you that stood, thank you, because I'll be standing for a little bit longer. But anyway, <laughs> verse 17, let's read that together. Then they began to plead with him, to depart from that region. God, thank you this morning for the privilege, the opportunity of gathering together, of coming to this property, coming under this rooftop, coming into this building. And Lord, our motivation was to worship you, to learn more from you, to receive from you a word that you would want to speak to our heart. God, you know what everybody here needs this morning. You know what the people watching by computer, you know what they need, those that are listening. You know what we need, Lord. And we would ask that you would speak to us, you would encourage, you would comfort if correction is needed, Lord, that we would be open to that. Thank you for your promised presence. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your patience with us that you have not given up on us, your church, yet, Lord. Thank you that you never will. Lord, forgive us when we've put pride and stubbornness in front of humbling ourselves and being teachable. 
Lord, we pray for the church in Miami. We pray for pastors. We thank you for Pastor Zach, Amanda, the kids. We pray for them today that your healing hand would be upon them. And Lord, thank you for what you are doing, the families that are here, the visitors that are here today. Lord, touch them, bless them. May they come back next Sunday. God, we turn our heart, our attention to you. Be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Those that are greeted, say amen. amen. You may want to greet someone before you're seated. If uh, Maybe smile at them. You may want to do that. Call your attention to verse 35 of Mark chapter 4 through verse 40. In verse 35, you see that Jesus said, let's cross over to the other side. It's interesting, in verse 36, it says, they were on boats and other little boats were also with him. In verse 37, it tells us that there was a great storm that arose. The waters, the waves, they were beating into the boat. The boat was filling with water. In life, things happen. Jesus one minute says to his disciples, hey, let's just take a little cruise. Let's take a little sail. Let's go to the other side. Let's take a little row. And on the way there, it seems like they were going to lose their life. A storm broke out of nowhere. In that area, in that region, uh, you have the cross winds, you know, and uh, from the Mediterranean Sea, they, they come in across sometimes, and it's very low, below sea level, and it's, uh, the mountaintops are high, so sometimes you get cold winds and hot winds, and they come together, and they form an incredible storm. Thanks be to God, up until day, uh, all the times that we've been to Israel, I've never been caught in a storm with the people, but I know some pastors that have been. It tells us here that they woke up Jesus in verse 38. He was asleep. They woke him up. Don't you care that we're perishing? They thought they were done. They were goners. And then in verse 39, it tells us that Jesus arose and he rebuked the wind and he spoke to the sea. And he said, peace be still. I love verse 39 because it says the wind ceased. And there was great calm. I stopped there and I, and I looked to you and I asked you the question, have you ever been caught in a storm? Have you ever been caught in an intense storm? We were cruising. You know, my mother-in-law has been good to us and taking us on many cruises and um, we were on a cruise, and there was a storm that caught us, so much so that 
The captain of the ship decided not to stop at the following port. And he said, we got to make our way back to the end. Thank God it happened close to the end of the cruise. And we had to make our our way to the end because he says, the longer we wait, if we stop at the port, then we're going to be caught in the storm. And we want to try to get ahead of the storm if we can. But we got caught in the storm. Your crazy founding pastor, you know, he got out of his room and he went upstairs because remember, it's buffet. <laughs> but, but we were in the buffet restaurant. They had closed the sit-down restaurants. I usually like the sit-down restaurants more. I like the service. But, but I go to the buffet and literally the boat was stopping over and, and people, it was like an, that, that huge ship seemed like a, like a little boat, a storm. It was very interesting. We didn't have the uh, balcony window, but everybody that had a balcony window, they closed the windows. At the previous port we were at, they closed the windows because they thought that the waves were going to be such that it could cause problems to the windows. It was an intense storm. We felt a little happier because those that paid for the window, they got it closed and so we didn't pay with the window so we were used to it we got the training before it happened it was quite the storm but my question to you is have you ever been in a storm that's financial you you thought everything was there and all of a sudden checks are bouncing you're having to call the bank i mean the bottom just got pulled out from under you have you ever been in a storm that's physical health-wise you're healthy, you're good. Just one doctor's visit. They're telling you all kind of things that you didn't know. What? I don't know what that is. Well, what are you talking about? We got to have further exams and cardio this and gastritis that and colonostoma what and uh, endoscopy. What are you talking about? You're in a storm. You're coughing and next thing you know is blood. You're in a storm. And you compare all of those, and how about a mental storm? You're dealing with a loved one. You're dealing with a family member. You're looking at their eyes, and it's like there's a blank stare, and there's this rage, and there's this anger, and and they're speaking words, and, and you're in a storm. You're in the storm of your life. This is my little girl. This is, this is my son. What, what's going on here? This is my dad. This is my mom. A storm. Have you ever been in a storm? Mark chapter 5 shows us someone that is living in a storm. He's been hanging out in the storm so long that, well, society has given up on him. Everybody has given up on him because his mind, his soul, his spirit, his life is living a constant storm. Struggles, pressures, forces coming against. And so we pick up there verse 1, chapter 5, and we begin to read that after Jesus leaves the storm and he comes to the ground, he comes to the shore, well, there's another storm. And this storm appears to be more intense. Verse 1, then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the gatherings. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit 
who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains. I stopped there in verse 3, and I think with you, Gadara, if we had a map of Israel behind us, if you look at Capernaum, and if you look at 12 o'clock high, and you come down about 30 miles southeast, you're going to have the area of Cursa, the area of Gadara is uh, referred to by different names and different uh, portions of Scripture, but it's talking about the same region. It's a region that was predominantly a Gentile region. However, in this Gentile region, there's Jews that are still there because it's Israel. And so these Jews are working and they have a swine kind of business, a pig kind of business. And so we see that as Jesus comes to that region, he gets off the ship. And we see here something that should catch your attention. The man that comes to meet Jesus immediately, if you look there with me at verse 2, it tells us that he came out of the tombs, the cemetery, the sepulcher. Now, it gives us more information, and it says this man had an unclean spirit. I look to your eyes for communication. That is a gentle way to get us started to say this man is demon-possessed. This man is under demonic control, demonic influence. And I kind of stop here a second and I think with you this morning because there's those people that sometimes even in churches, they say, I don't believe in the devil, I don't believe in, in hell, and I don't believe in demons. And I say to them, I don't believe you. You need to know, and we need to be reminded that there is a God and there is love, but listen, there is a devil and there is hate. You need to know that. You need to know that the Bible says, as Paul writes to Timothy, he says, listen, in the latter days, there will be those that will be departing from the faith, and they would be like opening up the doors of their heart. They would be opening up the doors of their mind. They would be opening up the doors of their soul to doctrines of demons, lessons, thinking, teachings, understanding that don't have their origin in heaven, in the heart of God. They have their origin in the devil, in the heart of hell. And a healthy believer is aware of that. And this morning, regardless of your persuasion or your belief, it's important to know that as we come to Mark chapter 5, the good news of Jesus, as Jesus steps off the boat, there's a man that comes to meet Jesus, who comes from the tomb, who has an unclean spirit. Look with me at verse 3, because he'll give us more information. He not only comes out of the tomb, he is living in the tombs. He is a living, walking dead man. Know anybody like that? Their heart is pumping, blood is circling, their brain is engaged, but nobody's home anymore. Too many heartaches, too many heartbreaks, too many letdowns, too many disappointments, too many betrayals. They're done. They checked out. That's this man. 
He's making his home. I did a word study. You know, I, I've told this so many times. And it, the, the picture shows that he's playing with dead bones, with dead man's bone. He, he has more familiarity. He feels more comfortable in the place of the dead than he does with the living. Wow. How does a human being get like that? How, how does a beautiful lady become a prostitute and she's so strung out and she's so skin and bones and, and you look at her and it's the look of death and, and the fentanyl and the drugs and her pimp and her pusher. How does that happen in our society? And maybe she was even a pastor's daughter. Maybe her parents were missionaries. Maybe, maybe her dad is a, a, a police officer. Maybe he's the chief of a police agency. How do things like that happen in our society? What happens in the mind? What happens in the heart? This morning, as we look at this story, please come with me. Let's go a little bit deeper and notice the condition of this man is such that no one could bind them. Did you see that there in verse 3? Not even with chains. Now, stop a second. And again, I look to your eye. And this time around teaching this, I discovered something I had never seen that before. I had always thought that this guy was so wild, so crazy, so deranged that no one could tame him. But this time around, I discovered, no, wait a minute. They did tame him. Look at verse 4. It tells you there. It says, he had often been bound with shackles and with chains. And the chains have been pulled apart by him. And the shackles have been broken in pieces because neither could anyone. And now it gives us more insight into the condition of this individual. He's no longer referred to as an individual or as a man. He's compared to a wild animal. No one could tame him. Look at verse 5. It gives you more insight into this guy. Night and day. He was in the mountains, in the tombs, and he would be crying out, and he would be cutting himself with stones. I stop. I think with you. Does God have your attention yet? I, I wonder what your world is like. You know, sometimes people, you know, here in this nation, we, we're so blessed. You know, we got refrigerator, running water, law enforcement, 9-11. Something happens, you go down. And in, in, in minutes, there's, there's trained paramedics, firefighters there to help you to stable. You know, a lot of places in the world don't have that. And so we got the safety net. We got the safety factor, but little by little, it's being peaked, it's being pruned, it's being broken. You know, this man, he's, he's in trouble. Day and night, he's crying. Now, I hope I could act that out for you just so that you get in the picture. They, this guy's he's in the mountains. And, and how many of you here this morning, you're nature lovers. You love nature. Any, anybody here, you like the water, the mountains? You know, sometimes you look at the mountain and it relaxes you, but not this guy. Ain't nothing relaxing this guy because he's got demons in him and they come to steal, they come to, to, to kill, they come to destroy. So this guy's in the mountains. Ah, oh, ah, I don't know how he's screaming. Don't tell Sack I did this, by the way. Ah, ah, you know, you know he, he's, he's very, I love him, I love him. I, I'm crazy, I'm, you know, 68,000 miles, I'm ready to go, you know. 
You're playing computer games. You're, you're watching a movie. You're watching a basketball game. This guy, ah, ah, he's cutting himself. Ah, he's cutting himself and blood. And think about how many times he's done this. And think about the scars. Think about how this guy looks. He's living in the tombs. He's living in the cemeteries. And they couldn't arrest him, but they did arrest him. And the question is, well, how could it be both? Let me tell you how. Any law enforcement agent here knows that sometimes people faint. Sometimes people drop. Sometimes people lose it. And when you have one of these uh, delirium, you know, conditions, minds, you know, you, 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 you go for so long and then you just dropped. And my theory, I mean, this is not Bible, but my theory is that when this guy dropped, they, they chained him. <laughs> we got him. <laughs> now we got him. We got him. Until he wakes up. And then when he wakes up, you hear the chains. Kink. Let me go. And he breaks the chains. And he's got the shackles. And he breaks the shackles. And at that point, all the law enforcement agents says, hey, call for backup, man. You know, maybe we should do something different here. You might hold them for a little while, but those demons will not be tamed because they're on a mission. Steal, kill, destroy. Steal, kill, destroy. Steal, kill, destroy. That's the way they're programmed. That's all they know. They know they're going to hell. They're trying to take everybody they can with them. They're trying to make you miserable. They're trying to get your kids. They're trying to get your grandchildren. They're trying to get your parents. They're trying to get your pastors. They're trying to get your political officials. They're trying to get the medical field. They're trying to get, they're, 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 on, a, they're on a game. They're on a mission. Come on, Christian. My question to you is, what mission are you on? We're supposed to be on a mission here. Go and tell the world about Jesus. Make them disciples. Are you on a mission? They're on a mission. And this guy here, he had come to his final bottom rung of life and existence. All he knew is how to harm himself, how to scream. They had a problem. No one could go by there. Matthew chapter 8, you could go home and do a little bit of, for the research. Luke chapter 8, you have this same account here repeated by three writers of the gospel. Matthew chapter 8 gives us insight, gives you insight that it wasn't even only one. It was two of them. Mark chapter 5, Luke chapter 8, they focus on the one that was probably most vocal and most active. But it was actually two of them. You know, it's funny, we, we read this today, and, and I don't know, I don't know if maybe some of you watching by computer or some of you here are thinking, ah, I can't wait till Pastor Syke comes back. I can't either. Quite frankly, I, I just love to sit and sit under his teaching and watch the Lord use him, but, but he needs a break. But maybe the Lord has allowed him to be out so that this message could be before us because let me tell you, the morning service finishes, there's someone sitting over here that comes and he tells me, Pastor, I have a friend. And the son tied the mom up just this week and was beating her up. And then when my friend, the father, tried to intervene, he stabbed. He killed his mom. He killed his dad. 
There's a grown man here shaking and, and, and weeping and moving. I could totally understand why. Listen, everyone here today, everyone within the sound of my voice, you're going to have some experience with this some way or somehow. It might be through a family member, a coworker, but the world that we're living in, it's clear. They've shut their heart to God. They've shut the Bible. They've taken God out of the schools. They've taken God out of the center. They've taken God out of the churches. They're bringing Skinner, Lang, psychology to the churches. They're bringing music. They're bringing so much into the churches, but Jesus, you, you can't be outspoken, Jesus. You, you can't be. And, and so what's happened? It's not going to stay empty. The enemy's quickly going. He's going for it. Time is short. He comes to steal. He comes to kill. He comes to destroy. Jesus came that we would have life abundantly. Look with me here, chapter 5, we move on, and it's an interesting thing. Verse 6, I love it. He's untamable. He's crying. One of the gospel writers says, no one could even pass that way. But when he saw Jesus. Are you there with me, verse 6? Can you read that together with me out loud? When he saw Jesus from afar. He ran. He worshipped him. I stopped. I looked to your eyes. Isn't that, that, that is so refreshing. I so love that, that you could be in bondage. You could be demonically possessed. You could have many demons. But if you see Jesus, you could still make a decision. Jesus, I want you. Jesus, I want to get closer to you. He saw Jesus. The Bible says he comes to Jesus and he bows down before Jesus. Let me ask you a question. As I ask myself a question, do I bow down before Jesus? Do you bow down before Jesus? Thank you for the hits that are nodding. I like that. But let me ask you another question. When's the last time you bowed down before Jesus? When's the last time you humble yourself in your house, in your room, in your closet, maybe in your car? When's the last time maybe you stopped the car and you said, Lord, 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 you're so good to me. Lord, you're so amazing. God, you're so kind. You're so, you're so patient, Lord, and you're holy. And, Lord, you want me to be holy. When's the last time we did that? Everybody's got their, their device. Everybody's on their device. Do you know what would happen this week if we would give Jesus the time that we give our device? Some of you say, I don't know. Let's find out. <laughs> Shut it down. Shut it down. Put it away. This week, Lord, I'm not big about you. But pastor, my business. Pastor, my investment. Pastor. Okay. He saw Jesus. He ran to Jesus. He bowed down before Jesus. The reason I read the previous chapter with you, I have a sense that this man saw the storm. Have you ever seen a storm around you here in Miami? We have lightning storms. I remember in 67 Avenue, the property I was in there, and I remember a storm, and the thunder was like incredible. You know, those thunder, the whole building was shaking, you know. I started singing, Jesus, I love you. You know, you start singing. <laughs> I think this was the kind of storm that if Peter and John and fishermen think that we're perishing and they wake up Jesus, I think this was some storm. 
And I think this guy saw the storm. And I think this guy, because uh, when you're at the Sea of Galilee, you could see that, especially, you know, Jesus. I think he saw Jesus standing on that boat. I think he saw Jesus say, peace, be still. And he saw the wave cease and the wind. And I think this guy said, that's my last hope at sanity. That's my last hope. That's my last chance. That's my last opportunity to be restored. And so Jesus comes to the shore, you know, and he gets off the ship. But already I think he's watching where the boat is coming to. And wherever he's at, he's running to Jesus. You know, as a kid, I used to watch this Tasmanian devil. You remember that cartoon? <laughs> you know, like that. I think this guy came like a Tasmanian devil. And he bows down before Jesus. Now, he's not your average Calvary Chapelite or Baptist or Pentecostal. or He's not your average guy. Think about how this guy looked. Think about how this guy smelled. And I think when Jesus gets off the boat and this guy comes, I think Peter and John says, Jesus, you got this, okay? You got this? Because <laughs> even though they had had some experience, but this is one of the worst spoken about demon possessions that we get an account in the Bible. So much so that it's written three different gospel writers. They report on it. And so please notice with me that if you just notice and look at what he's saying, you think that he's challenging Jesus. Verse 7, he cried out with a loud voice and he said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you, by God, don't torment me. You're tormenting me. And you say, well, why? Jesus didn't say anything. But wherever there's control, wherever there's holiness, wherever there's Jesus... Darkness has to flee. Evil has to go. And wrong has to stop. So he's demonically possessed. He's all about stealing, killing, and destroying. But he's in the presence of Jesus. And one of them is going to give. And it's not going to be Jesus. You're tormenting me. Your homework is... To go home and see that one of the gospel writers say he bowed down. But I'm going to let you find that out. It's either Matthew 8 or Luke 8. But here you see it says he ran and he worshipped him. So I stop a second, look to your eye. What is he saying? If you look at the words, he's saying you're tormenting me. But if you look at his body language, he surrendered. He's worshipping. He's recognizing Jesus, you're the authority. And I recognize you as such. But listen, come a little bit closer here and notice something that I think you're going to find very, very interesting. In verse 8, the description is that he had said, come out of the, the man unclean spirit. But in verse 9, Jesus asked them, what is your name? I love that. I love that. Again, in my picture, what I say, ah, you're tormenting me. And Jesus looks at him and says, Como te llama? What's your name? 
Put a marker there. Go with me to Psalm 32. Go to Psalm 32 because Psalm 32, the psalmist, as he's writing and worshiping the Lord, gives us a little bit of insight into how God deals with the people that he loves. God's personality, if you would. God's mode of operandum. How does God operate? So in Psalm 32, I love that. Go with me there to uh, verse 8. It says, I will instruct you. I will teach you in the way that you should go. And I will guide you with my eye. Don't be like the horse. Don't be like the mule. They have no understanding. They must be harnessed with a bit and brittle or else they will not come near you. I stop a second. Go back with me to Mark chapter 5. I hope you see this. Jesus is not trying to manipulate this guy or harness this guy. You know, sometimes you see exorcisms a la Hollywood, you know, a la traditional style. And people have to put people in. And, but here Jesus, he just looks at him and says, hey, what, what's your name? Right now I want to speak to you. You're somebody's son. Maybe, maybe you're somebody's little boy. You remember when, you, remember when you were an individual? What, what's your name? Because I'm thinking for a long time, nobody's called him by name. Maybe he's known as the, the terror. You know, maybe he's known as the evil. Maybe he's known as the witre. Oh, yeah, be careful. See, you know, if you're going to go by Southwest H Street, you know, between 95 and 96, be, be careful. You know, maybe he's known by many things, but he's got a name. He's an individual. He's a person. I love that. Do you know that you have a name? The Bible says that, man, your name's, man, written in the Lamb's book of life. That a human being can have a life that you might be unknown here, but you're well known in heaven. You got a name. Ah, Julito. Ah, Sandra. Oh, eh, Miguel. Oh, eh, Ramon. Oh, Ramon in heaven. That the, Man, Ramon is going to pray. Look what happens when Ramon prays. You have a name. What's your name? And Jesus, what, what's your name? Let's have a talk. Let's have some interaction right now. You give me your load, I'll give you my burden. It's light, it's easy. You give me your heartbreaks, I'll heal your brokenhearted. You give me your defeats, your failures. I'll give you a reason for living. What's your name? He answered, Legion were many. Legion was a Roman army contingency, military contingency, that was made up of 6,000 plus soldiers. Did you hear that? That this guy, the weight on him of demons, for some reason he's thinking legions. You know, it's like hundreds and hundreds and thousands of influence. He's opened himself up. What's your name? Legion. We're many. 
I've had discussions with people. You know, there's pastors that think that the demon is talking here. I don't think Jesus is having a conversation with the demon. I think he's uh, uh, focused on this individual. I think he's having a conversation with him. I think when Jesus says, what's your name? He's not wanting to find out the name of demons, you know. But um, I don't know where you stand on this. Some people give the devil and the demons more credit or attention than they do Jesus. I like to put my attention on Jesus. And I like to see how Jesus puts his attention on you. On people. How everyone here this morning, the Lord knows you. He knows you're weak. He knows what you're going through. He knows what you've been through. What's your name? Legion were many. Look at verse 30. Also, they begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Now, a large herd of swine was feeding near the mountains. So all the demons begged him, saying, send us to the swine that we may enter them. You want to write down Luke chapter 8, verse 31, because Luke chapter 8 gives us a little bit more insight and shows us that the demons begged Jesus that he, Jesus, would not send them into the abyss, into the abuso. I think with you this morning, there's up, there's heaven, there's down, there's hell, there's the lake of fire, which is worse than hell, there's the abuso, and sometimes people joke around and they say, man, I want to go to hell, there's going to be a party there, newsflash, there's no party in hell, Uh, there's no dancing music in hell, there's no celebration in hell, the Bible says that what you find in hell is weeping, gnashing of the teeth, it smells like sulfur, and it is constantly dark. That's hell. Hell is a place that was created for the devil and his demons. And the only way that people wind up in hell is because you're either going to take side with Jesus or side with the devil. And if you take side with the devil, there's only one place to go. There's no um, middle ground, uh, what they call that, purgatory, standing ground. You don't come back as a fly and get another chance at it. The Bible says is appointed unto man to once die, and then to face the judgment. And hopefully the way that you lived, you chose Jesus, you chose the Lord, you chose his word, and then you have heaven guaranteed. We got to pray for people around us. Maybe they haven't done that. We got to pray for anyone here this morning that maybe you have not done that. You've never really come to Jesus and said, Jesus, I repent. I humble myself. Forgive me my sins. Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and Savior because I understand you hung for me on Calvary's cross. You died for my sins. You took the punishment of my sins. You took God's wrath, Jesus, on the cross. You died. You rose again. You lived, Jesus. I want you. Something happens in any life that does that. Allow me to say this. I grew up in a pastor's home. I grew up in the church, but I'll never forget. I'll never forget April 1972 when I said, Jesus, I want you. Now, I had been baptized as a kid. I had asked for that. If I would have died then, would I have gone to heaven or hell? I really don't know. I know that Jesus is grace. I know that as a kid, I can, but I love the fact that in April of 1972, Jesus became personal and real to me. Has that happened in you? Let's move on to the story and we'll close. At once, verse 13, Jesus gave them permission, the demons, 
Notice they have to ask permission. The unclean spirits went out. They entered the swine. Notice it tells us there were about 2,000. That's a lot of pig. That's a lot of bacon. 2,000. Wow. And then the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea. And they drowned in the sea. Those that fed the swine, they ran. They fled. And they told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that had happened. Let me stop there a second. Let me look to your eyes very quickly. Let me make this point. You have this one guy. He's cutting himself. He's screaming. He's living in the cemetery, walking dead men. Do you see the spirit of suicide that's on this guy to such a degree that all these demons, when they go into the swine, 2,000 of them, it doesn't tell us except one or except two. All the swine that these demonic spirits went into, it brought them to take their own life, to die. In the sea, they jumped, they drowned, they died. He comes to steal. He comes to kill. He comes to destroy. He doesn't come to give you a promotion. Oh, he might give you gifts. He might give you open doors. But when he cashes in on the price, it's going to cost you more than you can afford. It's going to take you deeper than you want to go. It's going to bring more pain that you want to bear. And it's going to last longer than you ever thought it would last. Don't do business with the devil. you imagine the guys that take care of swine? I read the book I was studying said that this in today's market would have been a half a million to a quarter, a quarter of a million to half a million dollars worth of business, these 2,000 swine. I never tried to buy a pig. I wonder how much they cost. Anybody here knows at the end of the service you could tell me. In the data that you're probably Googling it and you're trying to find out how much, but 2,000 of them. We don't want to go to hell, please. We'll take the pigs. We'll live in the pigs instead of hell. Go. 2,000. How long does that take? You can imagine watching that. <laughs> What's happening? What got into these pigs? The demons. They're dead. What got into my boss? What got into my family? What got into the pastor? The demons. My parents, Cuban, they used to say, Hijo, el que juega con candela, se quema. Translation, you play with fire, you get burned. You play with demons, so you might feel the rush. You might feel powerful. But he'll burn you. He comes to steal. He comes to kill. He comes to destroy. Jesus has come that you have life. You have it abundantly. When this happens, they run. Look at this. I love this. Verse 15, they came to Jesus, and they saw the one that had been demon-possessed and that had the legion, and now he's sitting. This guy that's uncontainable. No one can tame him. He's sitting, and he's clothed. This guy that was naked, he's clothed. And I love this. He's in his right mind. And now they were afraid. And those that saw it, they told them how it happened. Him who had been demon-possessed, and they told him about the swine. And now, verse 17, we read that. That is so shocking. They began to plead with Jesus. Please, you got to go. You got to go. Get, vete, vete. You got to leave here. You got to go from here. We don't want you in our region. We don't want you in Gadara. 
Please notice the word plead there. Do you notice that in verse 17? You might want to circle that word. Go back with me to uh, verse 17, uh, plead. If you go with me to verse uh, 12, in verse 12, it says, the demons beg Jesus, and that's the word, same word, pray, plead, to come alongside, to ask. I stop here in verse 17. I look to your eyes again. They actually come alongside of Jesus. This is like, if I could paint this picture for you. Imagine somebody coming to you and putting their hand around you. Hey, how you doing? You're thinking, pretty good. I'm going to ask you for a favor. Yeah, what do you want? Can you please leave and go get out of here right now? I don't know about you. It almost want to, makes me want to say, did you have to put your hand around me to say that? Because that's what the word means. It's to plead. It's to implore. It's to ask. It's the word that we use for prayer. Parakaleos. It's to come alongside. They came alongside of Jesus after he comes to their city, their town, after he heals their zoning problem, their law enforcement problem, their nuisance problem. He clears the way people are going to be able to go through these mountains again. Jesus takes care of all of that. He brings this man to his sanity. He's clothed. He's dressed. He's sitting. He's in his right mind. And they now come alongside of Jesus to say, please get out of here. We don't want you. I hate to say this. I hope I don't get you upset. But it so reminds me of what the United States of America is doing to God, to Jesus, to the Bible. You could talk about Ramadan. You could talk about Allah. You, could, you know that as a chaplain, I still get problems and challenge because I end my prayers in Jesus' name. And then people tell me sometimes, oh, I pray, but I say in the name of the Son of Mary. What? Could you imagine if someone says, hey, how you doing, Pastor Hijo de Isaura? That's my mother's name. You can't call me by my name. Are you ashamed of my name? That's what's happening in our country. And pastors, people are going alongside of that. I'm not ashamed of the name. It's the power of God unto salvation, the gospel. And here, here they tell Jesus, you got to get out. Verse 18, I love it. Jesus could have said, I got to get out. You know who created this world? Guess who's leaving? You got to get. But Jesus doesn't do that. He got into the boat. And then the one that had been demon possessed begged. That's the same word there. The same word of prayer. They, 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 the demons begged. The people pleaded with Jesus. That's the same word. The demon possessed man, he begged him that he would go with him. Got to stop there. Got to think this one. Isn't that beautiful? Can you see this conversation? Can you see this guy? Can you see this guy now normal, acceptable? I just so love this. This guy doesn't say, okay, now I'm going to run for office. Now I'm going to do life my way. Now I'm going to be finally going to get a place at the table. This guy says, Jesus, I don't care about anything else. You brought me sanity. I want my life to be about you. Where you go, I go. Where you stay, I stay. What you do, I do. Jesus, I, I got to, Jesus, let me go with you. You don't understand, Jesus. Nobody's ever shown me this love. Nobody's ever, Jesus, nobody, look at me, Jesus. I'm here. You heal me, Jesus. I'm going to go with you. Please, let me go with you. I can see this guy. I can see this guy. I'll do anything, Jesus. You need somebody to clean the boat, mend the nets? You need somebody to help you pass the fish? Whatever, you, Jesus, I'll do it. You, you need a bouncer? You need someone? I, I could do that too, Jesus, you know. I'll do anything for you, Jesus. Let me go with you. I got to stop here a second. 
Again, I got to look to your eyes and I got to ask you, is that the cry of your heart? Do you yearn for Jesus? Do you long for Jesus? Are you committed to Jesus? Are you willing to give Jesus your all? Jesus, I'll do anything. God is looking to and fro the whole world. And God wants to show himself strong on behalf of those people that want to have a heart that will be loyal to Jesus. Jesus, I will be loyal to you, Jesus. I love it. But look at the answer. Jesus said to him, nope. You go home, you go to your friends, you tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. Compassion is love and action. Compassion. And then Jesus goes and then he departs. The demon-possessed man departs and he begins to proclaim in Decapolis. That's the ten cities of that area. All that Jesus had done for him, and everybody would marvel. I love this guy. He wasn't just a good Baptist, a good Methodist, a good Assemblies of God, a good Calvary Chapelite. He wasn't a good Roman Catholic. He went out and he would speak to people about Jesus. Let me tell you about a man that he not only stilled the waters, he not only stilled the wind, he stilled that raging demons in my heart and they came out and I was set free look at me look at me you see these cars do you see these cars here you know who I used to be but no more no more Jesus told him look at there go home go to your friends home friends I could almost see the conversation with a little examination home he has no home the tombs are my home didn't we get that in the beginning of the chapter friends I got no friends but isn't it beautiful that when Jesus saves you you got friends that you don't even know yet and you go to places and you feel at home and you have homes that you didn't even know you would ever have And Jesus says, listen, I'm giving you a purpose. I'm giving you a mission. I'm giving you a reason to live. Yeah, you could hang with me, and that would be good. But as you go about my business, you know what you're going to find? I'm going to hang with you. If anybody here, you, you ever feel like, man, Jesus is far. I don't have Jesus close to me. Get in the game and begin to serve Jesus and watch how close, how near, how quick Jesus is going to be by your side. You know, as we come to a close, I'm going to ask the pastors to come forward. I'm going to ask the worship team to please come forward. We're going to close in prayer. And I want to just invite you. I want to extend an invitation. I'm wondering if there's anyone here today that would say, you know what, Jesus? I want to come closer to you. Jesus, I want, I want you in my life to such a degree that the people around me, that maybe they're demon-possessed, the people around me that are in bondage, They need to be set free. And Jesus, I want to be a part of of you using me. I wonder if there's anybody like that here today. The second part of the invitation is, I wonder if there's anyone here today that you were that demonic person. You were that person that you were dead, but you met Jesus and you're alive today. And if that's you here today, I, I want to invite you to to consider maybe stepping to your feet and coming forward and maybe praying with the pastors and just giving glory to God and giving thanks to God. Lord, I was bound, I was blind, but Lord, I'm free 
and I see. I know there's people like that here today. And then the third invitation is going to be if there's anybody here today that you've never given your life to Jesus. Maybe you've been coming to church. Maybe you know the Bible in your head, but in your heart, you're not saying to Jesus, let me go with you. What you're saying to Jesus is, let me do my thing. I got my plan, five-year plan, 10-year plan. Jesus, just, just bless me. Bless my plan. Maybe today's a wonderful day for you to put your plan at the feet of Jesus and say to Jesus, Lord, whatever you want with me, I'm in. I'm in, Lord. I wonder if there's anybody like that. 